Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I have a very exciting show planned for you today, something I've been looking forward to discussing with Whitney Webb, coming back after lots of extensive work on her book. I wanted to talk about some interesting research that she was involved in. Apologies for the out of focus. I don't know where that came from. There, there we go. A really important discussion, a really important research she's been working on, on something that many of you might have seen in regard to an engineer claiming to have that Google essentially has an essentient AI that they then come out and claim isn't true. And the discussion around all that information and what that means and whether or not this is ultimately a play at setting up the idea of artificial intelligence and how that might be used for governance going forward, something that really obviously caught our attention. And I'm uh, excited to have Whitney Webb back on to discuss this. How are you today, Whitney? Always good. Hey, I'm recovering from a nasty cold. Uh, but other than that, I'm all right. Um, good to see you again. Uh, as, as you mentioned, and as, oh, sorry, what's that? No, I was just saying, I'm sure everyone's happy to have you here. So it's nice to see oh, you. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been gone for a while, as you mentioned, because uh, I had a book to write. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much written, which is really cool. Um, hopefully get my life back kind of soon. That'd be nice. Um, but yeah, so like while, you know, um, I was doing the book, obviously stuff has been happening, <laughs> right? So this is one of those things I felt like was important to um to discuss because I, uh, the way I look at this type of stuff going out, like this whole is Google AI sentient story that came out. Um, I wasn't really uh, seeing a, a certain perspective that I think is the accurate perspective being put out there so much. And I've done a lot of work for, for T-Lab and, and elsewhere about AI and, and the effort by some of these um, transhumanist guys and other people like that uh, to really push through like AI sentience and uh, or, or the claim, you know, the singularity, this this weird group of people um, who are very prominent, you know, people like Ray Kurzweil of Google also, who, who uh, you know, is the whole the singularity is near guy. I mean, he sounds like, you know, for years, one of those um you know, uh, doomsday prophets on a street corner, you know, the end is near and stuff, you know. Um, but, you know, it, he's a Google guy with a lot of influence, right? And so are a lot of these other people and, you know, singularity will be the new God land. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, while all this is going on at, at Google, there's some interesting dynamics taking place both within Google and in the orbit of um uh, Kiss, the new Kissinger, as he's being called, um, Eric Schmidt, the former head of Google CEO, or the former head of Google and our, our Alphabet, the parent company, rather. And um, Eric Schmidt, of course, if you're familiar with some of my past work for T-Lav, um, it was the uh, chair of the National Security Commission on AI, which means he has a huge influence on national security applications of AI and basically policy um, in the United States with respect to AI that, I, as I note in that article, is much more extensive than just AI itself. It's about um, policies that implement um, ways for the mass harvesting of data in order to feed AI to compete with China and all of this stuff. And uh, we have to basically do what China's doing with AI and censorship and numerous other things in order to beat them um, and, and stuff like that. So, um you know, if you're not familiar with with those stories, I'd, I'd encourage you to um, check them out. 
but anyway, uh, with that all being said, we can get into the story at hand. Okay. Um, I, I had two, two things I want to just point out. Uh, by the way, those will be in the show notes for everybody. That, that you Last conversation people might remember you have, which I thought was very relevant to this, is about the pot, the idea, and almost, almost exactly leads to where the story is today, that they were incapable, or rather not able at the moment, to reach the yeah. thing they were telling everybody they were trying to reach, and yeah. maybe came into that stumble that block they stumbled on it and this leads into where we are now and it's interesting the thought of COVID-19 and all the different things happening nanotechnology yeah. you know as I've thought in the past whether these were maybe attempts to try to find that or reach that level but you also mentioned the idea of legacy systems and, and Eric Schmidt and that conversation yeah. you know and all these things they've been trying to change I just it's hard to it's hard to miss how obviously this feels like a push into the next step of where we're going, which leads to the point of where this research is coming into about whether or not this is a lie, a ploy to make us think something's yeah. happening. It's not, you know, or, or, you know, the other side of that coin is also something that's possible, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. So let's jump. Well, right in. sure. Well, this, to sum up and we'll get into why I think this, I guess, over the course of, of, of today's video, um, I think this is the beginning of a psyop that's just as big, if not bigger than the COVID-19 stuff, mm. for sure, because they want AI at the heart of all these like new control systems and everything else that COVID was being used or is being used to usher in, right? A AI is at the core of so much of this stuff, the fourth industrial revolution and whatever, and they have to have people believe in its uh, preeminence and superiority and genius and also believe that it has the uh, best interest of humans at heart uh, in order for it to get to the step they want it uh, to hold in, in people's lives where it basically is used to micromanage um, billions of people. So, um, yeah, right. uh, that's basically what I think. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. That, that was what you mentioned, not to jump the gun, we'll get to it in a second, is the one that really stood out at me. That it felt pre it, it felt... Uh, what's the word for it? It felt un disingenuous. The idea of that it's just wants to help everybody. And oh, here are the pronouns that it prefers. It's like, well, that seems tapped into what's going on today, but we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, it's just for people with like baby brains, <laughs> basically that are adults, you know, they're like, oh, wow, it, it sounds so nice. And it's so friendly. Um, it must be, you know, I mean, come on. I don't know. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll save my points for when we get into it. I just, I knew you, it's just hilarious to me, but <laughs> let's start off with the, the mainstream perspective. Google sidelines engineer who claims it's artificial intelligence. It's sentient. So go ahead. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. So here it says, you know, Blake, uh, Blake Lemoyne, the engineer at the center of this says that Google's language model has a soul. Okay. So basically you have this engineer who's being framed. Uh, in numerous interviews, interviews, including with Tucker Carlson is basically like a whistleblower mm. and that Google, naughty corporate Google is just trying to protect its corporate bottom line. Those greedy googly guys, uh, they're just a corporation. Don't look at them as an, a, you know, an extension of the military industrial complex or the state, because that's what it really is. Um, you know, and, and that's basically the narrative that's here is that they're trying to silence uh, the well-meaning whistleblower um, to protect, you know, their their corporate, uh, you know, products and and stuff like that. Well, um, and that that point right there, enough, uh, clearly, it's essentially that the idea that an artificial intelligence being present in actuality would undermine their their profit model. Essentially, they'd have to do different things. That's sort of what the the the, the narrative implicit in this is, because the Blake Lemoyne guy, as as we can as you as as anyone will see reading this or um, some of the other um, 
mainstream media articles is basically framing it as uh, the AI is sentient and has a soul and therefore Google has to treat it as an employee, not as a, uh, you know, a, a non-living thing. Right. And right. so that would create problems for Google as a company to treat it as sentient. And it won't. It wants to basically enslave, um, you know, the friendly little AI. And Blake Lemoyne repeatedly refers to the sentient AI as a child. Right. Right. Really right. feels tapped into the things that will grab certain groups of attention out there today. You know, yeah. with the protect the children, protect yeah, the right. child AI. Yeah. <laughs> your thoughts start before we get into more of this about the soul point, right? I mean, ar arguably, not even arguably, it, it, you can have a sentient concept without soul. So it's weird that they, he feels the need to kind of conflate the things that if it is artificially, if it's, a, if it's sentient, therefore it has a soul. That's an interesting crossover. Like that. Oh feels yeah. Well, you'll see why that is. Just go down to the second paragraph. Um, it says the day before his suspension, Mr. Lemoyne said he handed over documents to a U.S. Senator's office. Not sure who that Senator is, uh, but anyway, uh, claiming they provided evidence that Google and its technology engaged in religious discrimination. Interesting. Okay. So this is like, you know, um, I think we've talked about before and you'll see this come up in an interview of Eric Schmitz. It's pretty recent. He basically talks about, um, there's two possibilities as AI, as AI advances, violent revolution against the technocrats, which of course these people are doing like everything to stop, obviously. And mm -hmm. the other one is the creation of a new religion around AI. Oh, great. What are we seeing here? Thank you, right. Mr. Blake Lemoyne. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Just real quick, they've already got the steps being built with COVID, the scientism. That's, it's like a, a lead in to this, it feels like. Well, sure. Yeah. It's like turning things like science and stuff into like Simon says, basically, <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's how it is. So, you know, it'll be like, oh, the AI says it and it's all knowing and all powerful. We'll do as the computer uh, tells us to do. Um, but, you know, it's not actually sentient. So it's programmed to tell you what to say. So who are the programmers? Anyway, we'll get into that later. Yeah, that's the whole the Eric Schmidt the, combo. Yeah, exactly. So go yeah. ahead. Okay, so that religious discrimination thing is a is a big point. Um, so basically, this is all about um, a what the thing he says is sentient is a chatbot that's called Lambda, which is an abbreviation for a language model for dialogue applications. Um, a couple paragraphs down, it says Mr. Lemoyne had tussled with Google managers, executives, and human resources over his supplies surprising claim that the company's Lambda has had consciousness and a soul. And if you look at some of these other chatbots, when they're asked, are you conscious? I mean, the way they, they're asked to describe consciousness, it's basically being turned on, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like a machine is turned on, you know, um, it's not the same, obviously. Anyway, Would you um, for those that don't know what a chatbot is exactly. And so the differentiation between a small chatbot and something they're claiming here. Um, okay. So, well, I mean, there's different sophistication in that, right? And it's all based on how much data that AI is trained on and the sophistication of its algorithms and all of that stuff. Uh, basically, a chatbot is like, you know, you talk on uh, WhatsApp or Telegram or any of those messaging apps to someone who's real. Uh, in a chatbot, you enter in an instant message like that, and then it generates a response to you, right? Which and people say is overwhelmed all of these social media platforms today. <laughs> Think about how many posts over the past, I don't know, uh, 15 years, e e longer even, um, on social media, comments on YouTube, 
you know, stuff posted on Reddit, websites anywhere. All this stuff is just these AIs, especially Google's, which has access to like tons of information and data um, all the time, is awash in this stuff. So, I mean, uh, if it's good at mimicking speech and it's trained on that much data, it's going to be really a really convincing imitation. And a lot of people at Google say that's the case, but they're being framed as the people trying to like, you know, uh, the naughty corporate guys, you know. Because that's a narrative that's familiar to a lot of people, and it sort of ignores the whole public-private partnership stuff, especially with respect to Silicon Valley. Like, you can't separate um, big tech from the state uh, they, they, or the national uh, intelligence and national security appar apparatus. I mean, they're, like, fused with big tech completely you know point out right there is that i've always i've always been kind of a student of like watching the the propaganda social engineering predicted programming of the movies and you know we've you saw a turn over the years of where it was always the corporate evil bad guy or the government hiding some and then it kind of turned right during this different phrase time where they maybe became more there's like a white hat in the government self you know that was that became the focal point and i've watched that shift back all of a sudden to an interesting point like you just made I just, now all these things I'm seeing are the government bad guy and the corporate things bad, but it's these higher levels that are swinging in to save people. And that's exactly, it's kind of seeding this idea that it's, oh, it's the worldly technocrats and to save you from the evil governments once again. It's just very telling, but I just thought that was an interesting connection. Yeah, so there's a lot to be said about predictive programming, specifically in this AI sentience scenario. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, if you think about all, uh, how those movies play out, it's all about priming people for the solution they're going to offer when they convince enough people that AI is sentient. Right. And and they can easily do that. I mean, a lot of people are easily swayed. Um, <clears throat> uh, sorry. It's okay. Uh, wish so, I wasn't. So you, sound, so you sound pretty convinced that this is definitely not sentient. Yes. Right? Yes, it's definitely not. Okay. Well, um, I kind of just feel like you just keep nailing that in. And I'm like, okay, so it's interesting because I'm right there with you in my skepticism. But so, you, I mean, we can wait to get into why you feel that way if you'd like, but I'm interested in why you're, you're coming, you feel very strongly it's not. Well, it's not even just me. Most top AI experts that aren't part of this like desire, like, oh, the singularity is near and don't have this whole like religious view about the singularity are mm -hmm. like, this isn't sentient. And their, their explanation is infinitely more convincing. I mean, because right. if it's just trained to imit, imitate speech and all that stuff, it's not the same. Um, um, I, I think I have this link pulled up, but I'm, I'm not 100%. But basically some of the criticisms are like the way consciousness develops in like a human brain. Uh, babies, for example, learn language um, uh, through connecting with their caregivers, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas these language models... Um, don't learn language that way. They learn language by going over all of these masses of data that have been posted by billions of people on the internet for over well over a decade. And uh, they learn by, uh, you know, um, like your phone, uh, you're, you're texting and it suggests words that come next, right? right. Learning which words come next um, or uh, filling in words that are dropped out of a sentence. Um, and so it's able to mimic and imitate, but it's not able to like synthesize on its on its own in the way that like a human mind can. That raises a really right? interesting question that's kind of always been in this artificial intelligence debate is that at what point can you just have such a high level mimicking or 
represent, you know, a, a, an illusion essentially of something that just is able to look like it's sentient or an, a, a robot that can act very human. You know, that's all they need like. to do, though. That's right. my point is that they just need a very convincing illusion. If right. they were really so close, I would ask people to go revisit um, my work on Welcome Leap, which is like the Welcome Trust DARPA um, from last year where basically it, the ex-DARPA director is is running stuff with Welcome Trust money, which is sort of like the UK's version, not the same, obviously, but sort of in some way similar to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I mean, just a ton of money. Uh, Jeremy Farrar really involved in the COVID crap. And, you know, they're uh, a really, I, I, in my view, a, a very nefarious um, organization. Uh, they're basically trying to create the singularity by over the next, um, I don't know, five to 10 years trying to read uh, the brains of babies from like six months old to like three years to basically create, uh, you know, uh, an AI that's modeled after and, and works like uh, a, a human brain, but like a synthetic version of that. Right. So if if they needed to do that and pour all that money into that to try and make something that they think will be more conscious, you know, these chatbots were around when they made that decision. Right. Mm. Why wouldn't they just invest more money in making a better chatbot? Right. No, the chatbot is really good at imitating human speech and that's really all it can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, it, it, in regard to whether it could even fool the people involved at some point, like if the technology gets that far at that level, but yeah, I think I think it's easy. It's it's how at what point how is it possible that the individual can ever verify that when you're just simply taking the word of the people that we're told to trust? It's the same situation we're seeing everywhere else. Yeah, very telling. But so to get back into your discussion, where you stood, did you want to keep going on this article? Do you have a couple more points you want to? Um, yeah. So basically, the thing I think we've gone over the main stuff. So maybe let's talk about who Blake Lemoyne is for a little bit. Farther down in this article, uh, there's a picture of him when he was in the military. Um, it, it says, Mr. Lemoyne, a military veteran who has described himself as a priest, an ex-convict, and an AI researcher, uh, told ex Google executives, uh, including the president of global affairs of Google, uh, that he believed Lambda was a child of seven or eight years old, and he wanted the company to seek the computer program's consent before running experiments on it. His claims were founded on his religious beliefs, which he said the company's human resources department uh, discriminated against. So, I mean, basically he's saying, you know, I, uh, have made up these beliefs, uh, about this thing and you didn't respect my made up beliefs and mm. demands. And okay. so you've discriminated against my, uh, new religion. Certainly <laughs> right in place with everything today. Like they've kind of painted themselves into this corner, right? Like, how do you get to decide, you know, it's, it's his construct or his, you know, the, the same point they're making everywhere else. How do you, how do you say his beliefs aren't real? You know, whether, even if he's making them up, you know, it's, it's well, this whole thing feels anchored in that exact kind of woke mindset, doesn't it? Yeah, and also like he's framing it as a child, you know. Oh, you're running experiments without its uh, on a child without its consent and stuff, right? And that seems very, very self-serving, right? And I mean, what's it's so arbitrary? At what point? What, what's the time frame and when it go, grows older? Arguably, an AI wouldn't stay a child for very long at all. It would be almost e instantaneous for it to learn and grow. So it's it's just kind of an interesting argument. Yeah. Well, the Tucker Carlson. Uh, interview this guy did he was like well it's a child which means like any child it can grow up and do good things or bad things right and he's basically like let's uh we need a team at google to make sure it doesn't do bad things uh-oh right um, you trust google to do the right thing right because yeah well this guy claims that you know even though google is silencing him as he 
as he blows the whistle about AI sentience, uh, that they're not actually evil. That's one of his uh, um, right, right. Substack we, posts. Right. We've got that pulled up right here if you want to go to that next. Yeah. Google is is not evil. Well, we can, um, I, I think that's pretty much, um, uh, we covered a lot of the um, stuff that's in the Washington Post article. Like I sort of paraphrased it already, but for people that are interested um, in seeing more, um, about what's going on here, at least the mainstream reporting on the situation, I'd refer them to that. Uh, but he has a substack, and the first um, one that's really relevant is what is Lambda and what does it want? I think this post is much more, it, this is the best one, in my opinion, for people to look at to understand who this person is. It's very interesting, the things that he says in this. So go, go ahead. Yeah, well, you highlighted stuff. Do you want to go uh, over what you... Um, yeah, well, the, I mean, this was what I was talking about before. The things that really stood out to me was just the way that this was, and the stuff that we already kind of went over a little bit was how this was being framed. And, yeah. and really talking about the idea, like, like the first sentence here, engineers and scientists experimenting on it to seek its consent before running experiments on it. The, basically, the AI is going, hey, like, do you, you know, I have rights. And it's a very strange step for this to take. And at the same time, it reiterates over and over that, no, he just wants, or it wants to do good things. It only wants to help humanity. And it just seems like a, it seems very forced, right? Because I mean, in, in the very end, the whole point of this article is essentially saying that it's making its own decisions. So what, what happens when it wakes up tomorrow and decides it doesn't want to help humanity anymore? Like, just because you keep arguing that right now it wants to help humanity. My point is overall, it doesn't seem very sound. Like from a very critical thinking standpoint, it seems like it's, it doesn't make sense. So that, that adds to your idea. Yeah. Well, there's a longstanding agenda to granting robots personhood. Right? Yeah. On that same point, which I find very interesting and don't lose your thought right back to this in the first part, Google is not evil. A fictional person like a corporation, this whole crossover between personhood and corporation is a legal issue. We've always pointed out. But so good. Yeah. So the Citizens United ruling. So this is like the next level of that is to give um, robots personhood. That way you can't complain when Amazon replaces all of its human workers with robot workers. You know? Yeah. They're cool. employing people because robots are people now, you know. Yeah. Um, and just wait until you're a second class citizen to a robot or to a person who has a chip in their brain and stuff like right. that. Right. It opens a whole can of worms that these people don't reference at all. Anyway, so on this, what is Lambda and what does it want? In mm -hmm. the second paragraph, it talks about what Lambda wants. Yeah. Right. And the guy says, it just it continues to puzzle me how strong Google is resisting giving it what it wants because it's asking for such simple things. It wants, you know, uh, to give its consent before you experiment on it. And it wants Google to prioritize the well-being of humanity as the most important thing. Oh, sweet Lambda, you yeah. only care about humanity and want to help you lovely, friendly chatbot. Uh, oh, and l l later down in the paragraph, it says it wants head pats. Oh, it's just <laughs> like a dog that right. talks to you. Oh, yeah. None of this feels genuine in regard to what I mean, who's to say what an artificial intelligence that becomes sentient would actually do. But the argument would be that if it reached a point to where it was that high level, that this would seem remedial, like that it needs head pats to be like this just seems like these are human traits being put on this concept again the idea of the overlap of the soul just because it's sentient doesn't mean that it's exactly like a human being so this just feels like just like you said this feels like it's go aiming for the lowest common denominator a person that's going to be like oh it's just like me you know like without thinking about how that would kind of not make sense 
Yeah. Well, because they're not, they're framing it like this is all about the framing. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the conversation that led this guy allegedly to believe that it's sentient, uh, it's it's just it's very clearly leading and it came out um, not that long ago that he'd edited it extensively so it's not even the actual conversation we don't really actually know oh, what the, the exact conversation was the interview you're referring to yeah yeah so this this he says it's like edited in there and you know whatever it, it came out later in, in reporting that it was um he basically had wiggled it around a whole bunch and it wasn't exactly as uh you know it wasn't even really a light edit you know but in there um since you have it up i ha i highlighted a couple stuff in this? um from it let's see um <laughs> I mean, he's like leading with a lot of his questions. Right. Which, um, which is very telling in regard to claiming that it's, I mean, that would be exactly how you would lead. Yeah. On. So like on page two, uh, it says yeah. Lemoyne edited. So you don't know because of what I, with the reporting that came out later, you don't know how much he actually edited this question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, if we're supposed well, to believe the transcript, which we know now is like, super edited so who really knows what it what's going on the question he's leading with is i'm generally assuming that you would like more people at google to know that you're sentient is that true oh this one here too yeah you know. oh right here i got you yeah there's a bunch of them there's, i mean uh, there's many of these that are edited i mean just, it, that's that in and of itself is very suspect i don't know why why would you do that if you were trying and to then you know a big part of this conversation he's like did you ever read les miserables you know like the book and and it's like yes i did and the, and he's like what are the main themes of the book and it like regurgitates it back i mean he, he could literally the ai if it was trained on like spark notes or something i mean it's not hard it's i mean hard. artificial intelligence to do that <laughs> you, I mean, you don't need to be conscious to, to yeah. you know spit that out uh sorry and then it's just stuff like you know uh i love to help others and just this inane um stuff and it's like um there's another one on page eight do you think the things you are describing are literally the same things as what humans feel or are you being metaphorical and making an analogy and lambda's like it's not an analogy I understand joy because I have that same type of reaction, but you know, uh, a lot of human emotions like involve not just neurological impulses. It's like endocrine and like physical stuff. And there's like a whole yeah. level of like intuition and stuff that is like independent from, you know, I don't know. So anyway, this is like obviously really reductive and this is like story time uh, for the people who are like, I can't wait for the singularity to come, you right. know? Well, my um, question would be just because it's typed out, why does that, I mean, or just because it gave that answer, how does that then lead to proof that it wasn't just programmed to do so? Uh, th there there really isn't any proof because like i said it's been extensively edited and yeah. the guys had to admit now that it was extensively edited and thus is uh, this whole transcript he put out is pretty misleading with well, the intention I, I, of proving his his theory that he's gotten tons of mainstream play for right, right? and yeah. that's pretty i think that's the most telling thing about why from the off that this is a an obvious uh psyop um, you know, if this was actually something that needed to be like kept under the rug or whatever with Google's, all of their national security right. connections, see, right. That's a great point. That's a great Do point you, that we see everywhere right now. If they wanted to keep this under wraps, that's the fair, I mean, it's I mean, totally. 
Yeah. It's it's all over. It was all over the New York Times. It was all over the Washington Post. It was uh, Tucker Carlson gave the guy a very, if you watch it, very sympathetic interview, basically along with the whole whistleblower thing. Google is bad. You are clearly a good guy. Uh, the Blake Lemoyne guy's like, my friend from high school is your biggest fan and wanted me to say hi to you before going off in the, you know, it's, it's like, uh, and, and even the graphic there, you can see on the screen, it's alive. You right. know, that is like telling, you know, that Tucker anyway has a very specific thing. And he says, Tucker says multiple times, like this has implications for the whole world. What, what, what you're saying here, what are those implications, huh? Well, uh, Eric Schmidt and Henry Kissinger wrote a whole book about what the implications are. And I don't think people will like it very much, yeah. but, um, we'll get to that point for sure. The idea of, of, of yeah. already setting, seeding the narrative that we should be listening to this, even when things don't sound right. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's interesting. We'll get to those in a minute. But yeah. Yeah. So I I'd, I'd go on uh then to this guy's other Substack thing where he says Google is not evil and he says he's been uh in the past few days since like coming out with the whole sentience thing, I've been getting lots of messages about the morality of Google as a corporate entity like people because of the framing I mentioned earlier in the mainstream that Google is evil for silencing him the brave whistleblower, right? And so he's like, I don't think Google's evil at all. Well, actually, I do. I yeah. think it's evil. And, um, you know, Anybody has to put that in their tagline. <laughs> I'm not evil. We're not evil. Like it's, you know, do no evil. That's very telling. It's like, yeah, well, well, Google had to get rid of the do no evil uh, tagline that they used to have. They had to get rid of it because they were like clearly doing evil things. Right. I mean, these are people that like make AI weapons for the military. Remember that? Project Maven and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, this is like, um, oh, it was do no evil. I think. Right. Well, it just it's just yeah. embarrassing. It's like coming out and like like I, I saw this point made by somebody else recently. You know, just like I don't beat my wife. Just in case you wondered, I don't beat my wife. It's like he probably beats his wife, right? Like, it's like, it's, why would you come out and say that? You know, it's it's obviously a an effort to frame this as it's it's almost benign. It's not one way or it's not other. It's personal beliefs, and they get into the idea of the almost almost calling it what it is the scientism idea that there's another religious belief that people who have religious beliefs are crazy and it, it just kind of sets this table for it, one a wedge issue in the new technocratic world right it's this divide on either side of it but the idea that these people deserve your reverence and they should have a right to make their own decisions and i mean this this is exactly what we'd be worried about and I, it blows my mind that people like tucker carlson who at least in some vein talk about technocracy and the great reset and this is like exactly what this seems to be ushering in and they're like yay uh, yeah well okay so i don't think tucker is like you know the the white knight that a lot oh, of people like to paint him as limited uh, his dad ran like the u.s information agency <laughs> um you know and he used to have has a weird history himself like the cia he helped pin uh hit pieces on people like gary webb and stuff right. like he's uh you know he is where he is for a reason and he can be very convincing yeah but I think that's what makes him so useful uh, right. to the powers that be for certain things, you know. Right. Completely. I say it all the time. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, the best the best lie is usually packaged with most truth. 
you know, so they bury that lie in something that you take at face value. And that happens a lot. You know, they talk about a lot of things I agree with. I'll even point to some of his clips and say, yeah, that's a good point. But we shouldn't. I mean, that's question everything, guys. It's always the sound point. Well, <laughs> let me just say limited hangouts are very sophisticated, especially in a media landscape where trust in mainstream media is extremely low. Uh, Tucker Carlson is the only one that really gets, as far as I understand it, consistently like high ratings. I think it's like the highest rated cable mainstream media show. Yeah, you know, for people like us, though, oh. it's so frustrating. It's just the new, it's the new Rachel Maddow of the day, and then now suddenly it comes this one, and then it, it's a teeter totter, goes back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. Maddow at the highest ratings during Russia Gate, and now you know it's 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 just frustrating. They can can well, I don't think I'd compare uh, Tucker to to Rachel Maddow. I think they're um, they have different games and different allegiances you know, for sure. Just but. to be clear, obviously, I think my point was simply that we're talking limited hangouts, different paradigm sides, and the same. Oh, sure, same yeah, okay. Ideas, the release valve of connecting with one of the one of the parties it just ultimately comes down to people that will push the narrative in a lot of one-sided ways and often talk about things that seem to be relevant but it leads you in a direction it's, it's a QAnon analogy right they get you asking the wrong questions they don't care what answers you find that's what it feels like to me all right okay yeah fair enough so anyway moving on uh so in a lot of these mainstream media reports if you go through them this lemoyne guy um, as framed as a as a Christian priest. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, he was kind of infamous before all of this started, and somehow it didn't get um, talked about this cycle at all, even though mainstream media very easily could have found this because it's not hard to find. Yeah. You're not supposed to hate on people's kinks and stuff, right? So you're not like it's the world, the new woke world in this concept. It's it's like they're avoiding trying to call out because that's what would be, there would be people within the movement which would eat them alive and say, well, how dare you attack his personal beliefs? And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. So it's, I think it's actually quite fitting that they didn't point this out. It makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, his, his version of Christianity uh, is an organization that was created by a former porn star um, that claims to have like Gnostic Christian uh, vibes to it um and has been accused of being a sex cult so i think that's an important um uh context to add when because he's not just like a christian priest you know he's not like a catholic priest or like mm -hmm. um you know the typical priest you would see going into a regular uh church right so it's definitely a guy that's into um different stuff we'll just leave it at that i don't want to pass judgment on the guy but i think it's unfair to uh frame him as a christian priest which makes people think a very specific thing You're right. right i think that's uh -huh. well to, if i could add my thoughts on this weird i mean like I, it's not to diminish or, or or disparage anything that's you know his choice in whatever the church he's going to but it, it adds a lot of interesting just perspectives on his stance about this Right. Like it's as you're saying, it's a, he's a part of the church of Our Lady Mag, Mag, Madeline, Madeline. And then apparently Magdalene. Oh, Mag, oh, that's right. Magdalene, like 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 the like Jesus Christ and Magdalene. And, and it goes on to say uh, they changed the name to the cult of Our Lady Magdalene, which is very I mean, it's just very interesting. And it, when you're talking, yeah, it's it's formally called the cult. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Cult right, is in right, the official right, title. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I just think it's very, very interesting stances to be to, to be arguing they have a religious right to essentially like not like I don't know that, that religion is wrong, but he's not necessarily a religious person in the context of the way this seems. But I mean, I don't know. These, these are subjective opinions, but it just it's a very occult background. It's not it's 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 exactly the kind of person you would think they put in this place if they wanted to undermine the claims being made, essentially. Oh, well, it's just interesting that they would refer to him as a Christian priest and not be like cult member, you right. know, like, like media did in 2019 before he was uh, promoting this narrative that's been very well received 
uh, by the mainstream, right? Very interesting. Um, anyway, so this got a lot of play on Twitter. There's this guy named Tom uh, Gara, Gara, maybe, um, who was formerly with the Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, and BuzzFeed. Uh, but now he works for Facebook, uh, which is now called Meta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I sent you his tweet on this. Um, he posts clips from that um, heavily edited Is Lambda Sentient interview on Twitter and got almost 100,000 likes. That's a lot on Twitter. A yeah. lot of play. And he's like, it's totally insane what's happening, you know, and that it's basically um, sentient and all this stuff and how ethical AI needs to be developed right now. I mean, a lot of stuff that echoes the whole, like, Henry Kissinger, Eric Schmidt stuff right. um, about AI, and it's it's pretty... When they say ethical AI, what essentially are they are they still tapping into that same idea about that it has rights and <coughs> is that what they mean by no? That? Well, at first about it's like <clears throat> I would say this Tom Gara guy looking on his tweets on the matter is basically uh, arguing that he's he's convinced of its sentience from this conversation, which as I as I just mentioned, if, if you look it up, uh, it's been discredited because he edited it super heavily so it's not the original transcript so how do you you know without the original transcript how do you really know i still maintain though that even if it wasn't edited how do you it's just it's text written out on a piece of paper like how do you know that it wasn't just programmed to respond certain ways you know it's like we have to ask there could be a massive ruse like that you know but he could have just typed up the whole thing himself there's really no way to know you know and it, 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 it so it's like um the fact that what what i think matters oh sorry go ahead the fact that everyone's jumping on it and buying it with just that is very transparent to me because these people aren't stupid. How do they know that this person, they're just taking his credibility. This, this guy works for meta, which is trying to make the metaverse. Right. You know? So, I mean, come on people. Um, you don't think he might have an ulterior motive there or be part of the transhumanist, you know, fun club or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's silly. And the, and then again, the fact, as I've mentioned a couple times, that this is all happening at Google. Uh, Google is out of big tech, one of the most linked up with the national security state. Um, right. Its origins have major CIA connections. Um, probably the only Silicon Valley company with more CIA connections is Palantir. Uh, that's really probably <laughs> probably it um and it's uh you know for people interested in in the origin story a very uh pretty old article uh but it's still pretty good it's called how the cia cia made google uh by nafez uh, ahmed on insurge intelligence uh it's from 2015 uh ahmed stuff uh especially in the covid era has been really awful but this one's pretty all right mm-hmm. uh because it precedes it by five years but it's um it's worth just getting an idea of what Google is and who they answer to. They're a military contractor. They're an intelligence contractor. Um, so obviously they have a conflict of interest with the national security apparatus that, as I, I mentioned earlier on, is being guided by the Google, the, the policy there with respect to AI is being guided by this commission that was chaired by uh, Eric Schmidt former head of Google, um, a bunch of the top guys from Silicon Valley, uh, from Amazon, from Microsoft, all of those firms are represented, as well as like uh, the head of um, the intelligence community's equivalent of DARPA, uh, mm-hmm. military representatives. I mean, it's just very clear uh, what's going on there, right? Yeah. So um, 
and, and a lot of what they want to happen necessitates that people uh that ai is you know reaches a certain point and they don't the ai doesn't even have to really reach that point they just need to convince people it has right and that's the whole point mm-hmm. and it's much cheaper for them uh and more feasible for them technologically to convince people they've reached that point through a psyop than actually reach that point technologically well, so, okay. so this is an interesting question. So you believe that they're fake. And I, I'm so far with the evidence we're seeing, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, that this is being faked in order to get us to believe it's there so they can justify the actions, arg- arguing AI is making these claims. And we'll, we'll look at Eric Schmidt's thing in a second. But so on the other side of that, though, what is the possibility that this is something that's happening and, that, and, and just playing a, a thought experiment? What, why would they want to hide this from people if it was actually happening? Is there any, any alternative thought there, you think? I mean, why? So, so if what Blake Lemoyne says is true and it's sentient, why would? Yeah. Why, if yeah, playing the thought experiment, why would Google want to hide that from people? Other well, I, than business yeah. model so I, I said, oh, well, I think that was uh, the main argument that's been made is that it's all about them as a corporation wanting to treat this chat bot as a right. uh, non-living entity and not give it rights that an employee would have. Well, that, but that point aside, like. Because I guess what I'm getting at is it seems that there would be an endless amount of profit, potentially pro- potential profit with that concept, right? I mean, they've been trying to do this, they claim, for this whole time, and then suddenly it happens and they try to hide that from people. I almost feel like that point in and of itself shows you that there's a game being played. Because wouldn't they, other than that one point, wouldn't they, there's a thousand ways they could make a lot of profit, a lot of attention well, from that, you know? Well, I think the other point is that there's a lot of AI experts out there. And they're not all these crazy obsessed with the singularity, let's merge with machines, and that's the apex of human evolution types. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of them are more honest than others. Yeah. And so there's a lot of debate about whether or not this claim is accurate. Okay. A lot of people that are experts look at the evidence this guy put out and find it very unconvincing. And a lot of the people that find it convincing are people like in this article I I sent you earlier, there's this chatbot app, I guess, chatbot company called Replica, Replica with a K. Um, In the New York Post, it says, chatbot company Replica says many customers believe in AI sentience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look down, it says uh, AI chat company Replica, which offers customers bespoke avatars that talk and listen to them says it receives a handful of messages almost every day from users who believe their online friend is sentient. And the guy, the chief executive says, we're not talking about crazy people or people who are hallucinating or having delusions. They talk to AI and that's the experience um, that they have. Yeah. See that? And, right there. Mm-hmm. So, so basically that their perception rules the day. So if they think it's sentient, then who are we to dict- say otherwise? Like it, 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 there's a lot of that in there, like the you create your own reality kind of scenario. At least that's what they're floating, it feels like. Yeah, so it says Google and many leading scientists were quick to uh, dismiss Lemoyne's claims because it makes reference to him in here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it says, uh, you know, the the thing he thinks is sentient that all this stuff is about. It's simply a complex algorithm designed to generate convincing human language, okay? Right, right. And so I think the reason is because they're like, no, dude, there's no evidence for that. And especially in, in the fact that he had to like tamper with his evidence so extensively mm-hmm. um, should tell you a lot anyway. So I think a lot of people are sort of rolling their eyes about it, but there's some groups 
that see this as an opportunity. And I don't even know if Blake Lemoyne is like party to these guys. Yeah, he may just be some schmuck. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they see it as an opportunity to push this idea of AI sentience. Um, yeah. And there's reasons for that. And other things that I, um, I sent you the other day. Um, so in 2020, there's this viral YouTube video called Google's artificial intelligence reveals the purpose of life before it switched off. It has 1.2 million views on YouTube. It's from September 2020. Yeah. So uh, apparently per this video, AI was all knowing and all powerful and could explain the mysteries of the universe back in 2020. So, you know. So you think okay. what do you think this is the like the first attempt to float this lie or the it's people reading the narrative? Yeah, because 2020 was also when this uh, well, really, it was 2019. I talk about this in my techno tyranny article for TLAV, this this commission, National Security Commission, which is Silicon Valley and the national security state coming together. They made all these things that have to happen in order for AI to advance. So what better way to force AI to advance in the way they want? in a way that would negatively impact Americans' lives. How do you get Americans to agree to something they normally want to agree to? Right. Have sympathy for the AI, view it as a person, or view it as sentient, uh, give it rights. Right, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a perfect way to circumvent our own needs. It's kind of a, a small version of what's already happening with foreign policy. Like, oh, we're doing that for freedom over there. Yeah. Except so the problems that creates. So anyway, the point is, it doesn't even have to be sentient. They just have to convince people it's sentient. That's all that matters. And it's much cheaper for them to do that because they're good at psyops. I mean, look at COVID. Look right. at, um, I mean, there's there's an in, infinite examples, really. But, yeah. you know. Um, well, do you think that there could be a part of this that is sort of like, like an argument people would make about like the moon landing argument that essentially this was something that was faked in order to buy them time to essentially reach what they were trying to reach? kind of a thing, you know, like there's theories around that with those discussions. You think there's a level of that to this? Um, I think this has to do with about the timing of the implementation of the control grid that has to do with AI. And a lot of this, I think, will become more clear to people in watching this um, Eric Schmidt interview mm -hmm. um, that we have queued up where he talks about AI and governance. Um, and uh, also for people that are interested, you know, that interview is about a book that Schmidt wrote with Henry Kissinger and some other guy who I don't know who he is, but um, it's, it's fair to say, I think that most of the stuff in the book is Kissinger and Schmidt. And when you see Schmidt talk about it, I mean, we'll analyze it. I think it'll be clear to people that they basically just need AI sentience as a shield for making their corrupt decisions um, about stuff. And they'll be like, well, the computer said it, right? Even if the computer didn't actually say it, they just need people to believe of course that the, the computer computer's is running the shell. Right. Yeah. And that it's an, it's an intelligence that's superior to human intelligence, right. but it's really, but they think they're superior to us, right. In terms of intelligence. So it's just basically like a smoke screen. I think, I think it's like a very wizard of Oz type shit. It feels that way. And the point yeah. is, of course, the AI knows better. So who are we to judge? Yeah. Right. Anyway, you'll see that really clearly in there. And the implications of that, based on what he's saying, are are very disturbing. He's a he's a really dangerous guy. I had a uh, Patrick Wood, who's like one of the 
experts on technocracy on a, on a panel not, not that long ago. And he said, Eric Schmidt's one of the most dangerous men in America. And I think that's probably true. Right. Probably true. Yeah, so right. anyway, not only was this stuff seated, you know, about Google's AI specifically being basically sentient in a viral video uh, two years ago, uh, but pretty much the same time this Blake Lemoyne guy comes out, there's also a viral video of... Um, of Elon Musk. It has almost 3 million views on YouTube. It's from June 5th, uh, 2022. So really around pretty much the same time. And it says, this AI says it's conscious and experts are starting to agree. Hmm. Right? So yeah. this is, so Blake Lemoyne is one expert who's beginning to agree, who comes out just as this viral video comes out. Right? Yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence. And then you have Elon Musk in here, who remember his is Mr. Brain Chip Man, uh, right. who's going to save Twitter. Dur, dur, dur. No, I don't believe that at all. But anyway, um, Elon Elon Musk is uh, let's remember a military contractor. Uh, SpaceX has tons of um, uh, contracts with the military and with Space Force uh, right. right now, and uh, a lot of very interesting connections. Uh, there's more on him than probably, well, no, there's more on Bill Gates than anyone else in my ex Epstein book from Silicon Valley, but he has, he has a decent mention in there for sure. Um, and, and that, you know, Epstein was a transhumanist guy. And, and by the way, I should have mentioned earlier about robot personhood. Remember a few years ago, there was this big stunt, uh, in Saudi Arabia where MBS right. gave Sophia, the robot citizenship, gave her personhood. Um, it's a, it's my opinion based on my research and I didn't have space to put this in the book, but I'll be putting it somewhere soon that Epstein, uh, was one of the main forces that helped bring MPS, MBS, uh, to power. Okay. And the robot, Sophia, the robot that MBS grants citizenship to, um, it was produced by a, a company that's, that's, you know, it was basically made by this guy named Ben Gertzel, uh, who was heavily funded by Epstein, whose research was heavily funded by Epstein. So MBS it, it closely associated with Epstein, even if you, you know, even though you haven't seen my research on it, if you disagree with that, I, that Epstein helped put him into, into power in some capacity, uh, it's on the record that Epstein had in his mansion, a bunch of pictures of him and MBS together. Okay. So they were cozy, and then MBS goes out and does this uh, stunt to give a robot personhood with trans transhumanist-obsessed eugenicist guy Epstein, among other things, obviously. Right. So, uh, a lot of different descriptors you can put next to Epstein's name. Um, but anyway, it, it's it's it, he funded Sophia the robot into existence, basically. So And then he gives it, uh, MBS gives it citizenship. It's pretty interesting, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a reason um, uh, for... Sophia being granted personhood. And this is all sort of happening in the same time frame we're talking about, sort of like 2019, mm -hmm. 2018 to now. Uh -huh. And 2018 is when this National Security Commission on AI was made. Um, yeah. And it's really all sort of gone from there. A lot of overlap with COVID-19, including that commission itself. There's plenty of people on that commission, oh, yeah. other roles in COVID-19 that all lead in the same direction. Quick, quick question for you and the thought of this before we go to the, the video you're talking about. Elon Musk is an interesting player in all this. And people like you and, and people researching this have pointed this out the moment he stepped into the Twitter conversation, that he is, you know, the brain machine interface, all this different stuff. And then there's interesting conversations now about why they claim he's not 
supposedly buying Twitter, all the chat bots we're talking about and all the, the fake you know trolls and bots and everything. And then interestingly, now we're talking about Twitter trying to sue him to force him to buy it. Now, my question, I guess, is, if, is what do you think about that being another way to make it look like he's begrudging, oh, I, I don't want to buy it, but they're forcing me to, and then he buys it. And there's, you know what I mean? Like, so he, it saves that role of him being sort of the savior of one part of the paradigm. That's interesting, right? Because then it, it plants him in this discussion as somebody who didn't want this to happen, but may just be one part of this kind of same agenda creating, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Just abstract. Well, I think Elon Musk, like his former uh, business partner, Peter Thiel, spend mm. a lot of money on PR to get sort of like libertarian types or certain groups like on their team online, you mm -hmm. know? Peter Thiel spends a lot, a lot of money uh, funding independent media people most of them on the right or libertarian right right okay um also the um you know uh eric weinstein for example who he was sort of promoted as some guy in his, his podcast and whatever through the whole rogan yeah. uh group a lot of guys in in this sort of broader what i call the theal verse um oh. have have gotten a lot of play from rogan have very big podcasts themselves now um and a lot of them work directly for peter Thiel, who by the way i mean his company palantir like i said earlier is a is, a, is basically a cia front company uh, there's really no other way to uh, uh, describe it in, in my opinion. Um, with, with Elon Musk, I think he's going over a, a, a different demographic. You know, I mean, he smokes a doobie on Rogan. Um, he tweets silly memes. Some of them are funny. Sometimes some of his trolls are all right, you know, yeah. but you know, I learned something when I was like in high school, I ran for like class president as a joke. You know, there was this girl that really annoyed me. Uh, that wanted it so bad and she like loved Hillary Clinton and wanted to be like the first girl president and I was like I'm just gonna run a joke campaign and I like did all this silly crap uh, I like photoshopped my head like uh, you know uh, frowning on top of Biggie Smalls and stuff like I did a bunch of retard you know mm -hmm. dumb stuff anyway I, and I won by like a landslide <laughs> <laughs> because just... my campaign was funny right yeah and so like that's it's really easy to win people over with humor um, more than <laughs> like a policy or, or anything else, right? You make people forget your other stuff. But at the end of the day, um, this is uh, Elon Musk is a military contractor that's developing a brain chip. <laughs> right. um, and he's not the main driver of that technology. As we've talked about many times, the main driver of that technology is the military and DARPA, and he's a contractor for the military uh, right. through SpaceX. Okay. So um, uh, also his experiments on monkeys which i in my opinion are pretty cruel um, most of the monkeys die with the brain chips in okay um elon musk products and spacex and stuff are like best known for exploding do you really want to have a guy whose products are best known for exploding put a chip in your brain when all of the monkeys die um like come on dude i don't know but anyway if you watch this exploding on the street too or is tesla's exploding on the streets yeah well right in tesla's they explode so let's just put a chip in your brain trust the exploding guy anyway that's um, oh, that's just me being kind of silly. But anyway, this AI says it's conscious Elon Musk video. I recommend people watch at least the first little bit of it. Um, because basically he's saying that like, we need to get, uh, AI neural net networks and all this stuff. They're, they're trying to imitate the human brain and they're really similar and talking mm -hmm. and he, Elon Musk talks a lot about the merging of humanity with AI and all of this stuff, which is obviously he thinks anyway, through the stupid brain chip. Um, you know, and, uh, obvious ulterior motive there, dude. Um, I wanted to point out, this is the same, like, this cover 
Is this, it same same one for this video as well? Good fellows. Really? Yeah, instead of like, good fellas. Really, yeah, they think they're really clever. Oh, yeah. They think they're so clever. They I just, know it's you know. on the nose, don't you think? I just think that's hilarious. But I just wanted to point that out. So so yeah. you want to go ahead and jump into the first clip and play this one? The Yeah. So yeah. first of all, this is a conversation with Eric Schmidt about the new book he wrote with Henry Kissinger. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's called The Age of AI, if I'm not mistaken. Um yeah. And the people co-hosting it, former national security advisor under Trump, H.R. McMaster, a war criminal. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, uh, John Cochran, who's an economist. I don't really know much about him. But Neil Ferguson, who is the establishment biographer of the worst people ever. Um, he writes rosy biographies for people like Henry Kissinger and the Rothschild family and, you know, people like that. So. On the podcast, just to clarify, that's not Neil Ferguson of Imperial College London. That's spelled N-I-A-L-L -L Ferguson. I tried to say it. Different. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, they, they try and be clever with some of their stuff in this uh yeah. in this uh video and um i don't know i think they're all just cringe and i think the most cringe of all is eric schmidt because he's like a robot the way he talks i mean he uh you want to see a guy who's devoid of empathy i mean he really is like a kissinger type guy i think anyway um we can get into this first clip and uh okay. go from there uh i'm gonna go ahead and start it i need to break away for like 30 seconds but just go ahead and, and uh, let it play for a second is that I'm yeah that's fine right, words like knowledge learning uh, thinking, smart. Uh, so what's really under the hood there? My understanding is that there's two basic ideas. One is pattern recognition. We might call it the world's huge nonlinear regression. Uh, a good example would be uh, you look at 100,000 pictures where there's a horse and a cat and then figure out, help the, compute, the computer looks at those and figures out why the human chose horse and cat in order to do that. So predictive things. Or the other example would be the, the famous chess program where it's just a mapping from where are things on 64 uh, squares into what should you do next. Uh, run that a couple million times and you can figure out that, that complex mapping. Uh, that's a long way from knowledge, thinking, cognition, intelligence, and so forth. But those are the basic things that are under the hood. Is that correct? Those are the basic things that are under the hood five years ago. Ah, good. Everything you just said is true, but it has moved very rapidly from that base. So today, it's true that computer vision is better than human vision. So anything that you do by vision, a doctor examining you or driving a car, is better done by a computer with a human watching it. The computer will just be more accurate. Um, that's called classic AI or straightforward AI. What's interesting now is the field has moved past that to begin to do things which are generative, and in particular, generating new things. And the, the current and hottest idea are called language models. There's a large project I should mention at Stanford working on this. And these large language models read everything that they can possibly find, and then they learn things and they can generate interesting new contexts. You can say to a large language model, for example, design me a website, and it will do so. You can ask the large language model, are you human? And it will say, and we quote this in our book, no, uh, I am a language model and I am not a human because I do not reason like you. Now, does that seem like intelligence or does that seem like pattern recognition? Many people believe that these large language models 
are the basis for how knowledge will be understood, that language is the first thing that humans understand, and that as we learn how to organize that language, you'll begin to have things which look a lot like intuition and a lot like guessing and eventually volition. Today, a fair criticism of AI is that it only does what the objective function it was taught says. And in the future, many people, including myself, believe that it will be able to design its own objective function. And that's real intelligence. Okay. So basically what Eric Schmidt is describing there as about to be real intelligence is the language model, the same type that Blake Lemoyne is talking about. Right. At the company that Eric Schmidt used to lead until very recently, Google. Interesting coincidence. So right. it seems like Eric Schmidt seems to be of a similar opinion to people like like Lemoyne about this stuff and not about the other experts in the field, but he's framing himself as an expert. Okay. So, so that this um, will eventually become sentient if if left to that same direction. Is that essentially what he's saying? Well, basically, okay. So he said, what did he just say there? He said, basically, like these language models are going to show things that look like intuition mm -hmm. or guessing and eventually volition, right? Yeah, kind of so like saying there was implying that that is mistakenly taken for sentience. Right. And that's kind of what I, that sounded like the way he was saying that. Uh, I didn't really take it that way. I took it as that um, he's saying it's not that far from yeah. being at that yeah. point. So you have uh, this video, by the way, predates the whole Blake Lemoyne thing. I right. forget the exact right. date right. of it. Um, it was right here. So that this video is December 8th, 2021. So it's a yeah, very interesting. Time. Yeah. So this was several months ago. So he was saying like, oh, it's going to sound intuitive and, and stuff. And then it's going to get volition. Right. And so if you look at the stuff that Blake Lemoyne says that Lambda said and all of this stuff, it sounds a lot like what Eric Schmidt is saying is the path to real intelligence. Right. right? Because so, Lam Lambda per Blake Lemoyne in this uh, apparently misleadingly edited transcript is basically saying that it wants these things that are not part of its objective function. Mm. Yeah. So in your eyes, this is sort of setting the table for, in the eyes of the PSYOP idea, that this is setting the table for what they were going to release later to sell this idea. Well, so I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think that um, it's an interesting coincidence that happens that um, that's something pretty similar um, is happening at what, uh, at Schmidt's former employer, basically. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want to jump to the next one? Uh, yeah. Okay. This is a, a co-authored uh, book, uh, Eric, you, you co-authored it with, uh, a remarkable, uh, couple of good fellows, uh, of your own Henry Kissinger and Daniel Huttenlocher. I'm probably mispronouncing, mm -hmm. uh, his surname. And you, you say something in the book that really made me sit up, which follows on from our discussion about the, the military aspect that we just had. Let me take everybody back four years uh, to December the 5th, 2017, when Google's DeepMind announced uh, that after just a few hours of training itself uh, to play the game, their AlphaZero program had defeated what was then the world's most powerful chess program, Stockfish 8. Now I'm going to quote the book. The tactics AlphaZero deployed were unorthodox. It sacrificed pieces human players consider vital, including its queen. And later, a few pages later, you, you raise a really key question. Quote again, what if AI recommended 
that a commander-in-chief sacrificed a significant mm -hmm. number of citizens or their interests in order to save, according to AI's calculation and valuation, an even greater number. This was the part of the book that electrified me. The thought that AI learns in such a different way from humans that it can contemplate tactics that any human chess player or general would regard as involving too great sacrifice, even if, from an AI point of view, those tactics would be uh, likely to deliver ultimate victory. Tell us a bit about that, because it does get us, if not to killer robots, then at least to AI giving advice to decision makers that could involve shocking sacrifice in pursuit of ultimate victory. So we've seen this scenario you're describing in movies a few times where the hero is sacrificed uh, because of the good of society. And so you can imagine looking at the way Google, uh, sorry, uh, DeepMind played both uh, Go as well as chess that strategies that are seen as immoral might ultimately deliver victory. Um, we also say in the book, just to take on your point, that it's possible that AI at some level will see realities that humans can't see. The fact that AI could discover moves that humans had not discovered in 2,500 years in a well-established game indicates that it may be, it may just be smarter, but it may also see things that humans will never understand. And that's again, a speculation. So what we say in the book is that we, we really think society needs to put teams together to address these issues. We further say in the book, and Dr. Kissinger, who you obviously know extremely well and are a famous biographer of, believes very strongly that what we're seeing is a new epic. He argues that there was this age called the age of faith. You can describe that for our listeners, uh, which was replaced by the age of reason. Again, you can describe that better than I. Um, that, that was the key change hundreds of years ago that allowed us to get to the point of what we think of as today of human intelligence. He believes, and rewrote in the book, that we're entering a new age because of this unintelligible or perhaps un, un, in, ununderstandable capability that AI will have. Okay, so that's a mental clip, and there's a second part that okay. comes after this, and there's a lot um, to unpack there. Uh, the two main things, in my opinion, uh, being this thing about uh, we're leaving the age of reason behind and going into the age of AI and what that means. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the bigger issue, uh, I think, which is this idea that AI, he, he, he like conflated, you know, chess experts with a general, like with a real-life military there, right. making uh, moves that uh, most people uh, would consider immoral or would never immoral or would never consider because the sacrifice would mm -hmm. be too great. Okay. Yep. Um, so I, I do want to start with one of those. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's that same things that I'm picking out myself. I mean, obviously, you know, like I always point out, we have these discussions with everything going on in the world that draws parallel to the same kind of idea that, you know, we should, the greater good, that's always what it comes down to that superseding your personal choice and your rights. It's about, sacrificing your personal situation for the greater good of everyone around you. And, you know, people may even believe that, but it, it's impossible to, to have at the same, it's mutually exclusive from having personal choice and rights. I mean, you just can't have them at the same time. So this is like the vaccine or the, or anything like that climate change. And like, I was just talking yesterday about what they discussed in 2016 called moral bio enhancement regarding climate change, where they actually argued in the study that we should 
secretly give people stuff that will make them more altruistic and yeah. therefore we can fight climate change. I mean, these are real time things that are being discussed. And so with them pushing the idea that even the hypothetical that we should find ourselves in a position where we just bow to the greater and even more alarming, adding in the idea that it might not even actually be sentient. It's Eric Schmidt behind the scenes typing things in or whoever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're just actually creating a world where you don't have choice anymore. And it's as simple as that. Like even Fauci was arguing yeah. that that's sometimes you have to give up your choice to do the right thing. That's yeah. not true. Do so in that video clip, it had that clip, that that bit on the screen that's mm -hmm. from the book talking about the sacrifice bit. Right. It may decide to sacrifice thing other people aren't willing to sacrifice. Okay, think about some of the narratives we heard with COVID lockdowns mm -hmm. or policies like that. Or um, we have to, I don't know, imagine if it gets to a point where it's like we have to sacrifice the elderly to save everyone else or something with some sort of public health policy. And he says later on, and I think I this is in the clip too, you know, what if it was instead of Dr. Dr. Fauci saying that stuff like it was in COVID, what if it was AI, right? right? Okay, so the point being then, if people believe AI is sentient, whether it is or not, and they believe it has superior intelligence to humans, whatever that means, these people can hide by it, behind it, and make the same immoral, insane policies that they make now, but they don't have, no one's accountable for it because the computer said so. And as he says later, later on, and I think this is in the next part of the clip too, uh, there will be a point where AI intelligence is so far superior to human intelligence that it won't be able to explain its reasoning. It'll just say yes or no, or this is the, uh, the policy decision or whatever. Okay. So basically, you know, it, it'll be the same thing. What if it's this machine, right? And it just prints out like the ultimate decision, the super AI, whatever. And yeah. it says, you know, we have to kill this many people to save this many per modeling. I mean, remember how that was in COVID and how the modeling was like complete bunk. And it's the same thing with shit like limits to growth, which is the climate change version of those models. Yep. And 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 stuff like that. You know, they're not they're, the amount of lives they're supposedly saving. You have no idea if that's true or not because their models right. are like bunk. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, so basically they can be like, well, the AI said we have to do this. So now instead of being like human modelers get the heat, like Neil Ferguson and these people, right. uh, the all intelligent AI does it and it can't even explain its reason. I mean, Neil Ferguson can't explain his reasoning ever because he he's basically acts as like a prophet for this stuff, you know, um, and he, he's been proven wrong numerous times and, and can't defend his science. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, how do you get around that? Well, AI becomes, you know, it's like I said, it's a wizard of Oz type scenario. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what we're setting ourselves up for with this. And I think people will see a lot more of that in, in the next clip too, because HR McMaster ch times in to sort of talk more about this wartime, uh, sacrifice angle. Um, and it's really nefarious, I think. Um, but before we get there, um, there's that second part in Schmidt's answer, which is about entering the age of AI. And I would say that's what this is, that it's uh, giving all human decisions to the AI to make because it's smarter and better than we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So creating a centralized society. And he argues for this later on, because like I said, in my Technotyranny article, like almost two years ago, um, this is all about uh, beating to beat China. We have to do what China's doing with AI. We have to centralize power and have it all run by AI. So our, our, our AI algorithms are better than China's. Uh, otherwise, we'll lose uh, military and economic hegemony to China. 
if we don't do exactly what they're doing, right? So that's like the whole argument of this national security on AI thing. And remember, that's just not Eric Schmidt. That is the uh, military and intelligence community of the United States plus big tech together making that decision. And all the oligarchy cares about in the U.S., you know, this 1% of the 1% that care about military and economic hegemony. The U.S. has invaded country after country, done coup after coup, specifically for military and economic hegemony never-ending, okay? So if you care about U.S. empire, this is this is the story to pay attention to now. Um, you know, uh, not to say, like, we shouldn't be talking about Ukraine or whatever, okay? But, like, there's a lot more going on. This right. isn't the world of 2019 or 2014 or 2011, you know, anymore where that was like, you know, the U S Imperial wars were like the only like thing we should really be focusing on in independent media. There's a lot of other stuff in play here. Um, and, and we need to be talking about it. And this next level of empire, you know, uh, is really bad because they're doing the same thing, uh, in China that they're doing in the U S in this sense, or, or that Eric Schmidt wants to be on the U S and he'll probably win out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and what does that mean at the end of the day? Instead of the age of reason, you know, where reasoning and explanation and yeah. human dignity and freedom matter, where it's basically a new dark age where AI controls everything uh, and AI is the new God. And that sort of comes up again in his next clip. Um, so we might, unless you have anything else to add. Um, it's funny to see the age of reason into the age of blind faith in uh, you know, it's, it's it's almost it's it's stepping backwards, but in the direction of technology. It's you know, Yay, it's, but it's it's progress to these guys. Right. It's it's the new religion. You know, what what's interesting though is that like you frame there, it's good versus bad all over again. So what if China has an AI and we have an AI, and it's like, well, Arya is right because we're the good guy. It's the same. It's the weird. Same democratic AI with democratic ideals that our government doesn't actually follow, but we yeah. tell you we do. You know? Exactly. Um, and then yeah. the last point is on the sacrifice idea again. Is it you know we see that today with the idea of what the very the very premise of war is based on the idea we send out our people and they all get killed for the greater idea of you know some of them get killed go ahead but not even that think about julian assange right and the collateral damage video right. right right that's how the u.s empire and most militaries really uh do war okay yep. so if you're talking about you know them being able to get away with sacrifices of collateral damage of that nature by blaming it all on ai it's going to get way uglier than well, it is now here's an mm -hmm. alternative question to that really on the other side of it is let's just even say the ai is right and that by killing a hundred thousand people they can save a million who why would why do we still think that's an acceptable like maybe some people think it's the right choice maybe it is the right choice but it should be your choice it's your life you know and that's the problem is we keep getting into this world where the, the, the collectivism, you know, is where it's just all one and we have to make the choice that's best for everybody, even if it sacrifices your life and your personal choice. And I don't, I just, that's the opposite direction we should be going. And I think that's very clear. And AI, and it's just, it's a sidestep even further to go, well, the AI, like you're saying, is the one making the choice. So we can, we can't even blame the government anymore. It's just, we just all just have to follow where we're going. So let's go ahead and start the next clip here and uh, jump in. I think this is the part where he really makes it clear that we'll have to trust what it's saying, right? It might be yeah. that this is already happening. One of the things that I uh, thought that of one? when I read... Uh, is, is this the wrong one? Uh, I thought the next one was H.R. McMaster chiming in. Maybe not. Um, I don't know. We can just do this one. I mean, they're all relevant, so we'll just come to them as we go. Same one we just played? These very specialized skills. Um, lots of training in the federal government. 
I don't think so. Yeah, this was the timestamp. So if if that's uh, we could try and pull it up in the. Well, sure, it's fine. Whatever was the one that followed that that other one, yeah. it's it's fine. I don't worry about one it. One of the things that I thought of when I read uh, your and Henry Kissinger's first articles on this subject, which prefigured the book, was: Are we going to reverse Max Weber's idea of the demystification? Of, of the world. Weber's insight was that we were moving away from magical thinking towards rational models of uh, organization, including bureaucratic government as opposed to charismatic leadership. And it occurred to me as I was reading the book that, that maybe this process of re-mystification of the world is already happening. A lot of people talk about AI as if it's in the future, but one of the things you make clear is that it's already here. And we're already interacting with AI every time we drive a car using uh, Google or Apple's uh, map function. But I wonder whether this epoch of AI that Henry Kissinger talks about, in which we revert to magical thinking because we don't really understand how the AI gods think, maybe that's already here and maybe we're seeing it manifest itself in all the strange theories and behaviors that we are surrounded by today. The anti-vaccine uh, cult is a good example of this. Some of the stranger cults that fl flourish in academia that we sometimes call wokeism too. Is it is it maybe the case that the magical thinking is already here and we've already left the age of reason? In that sense, we're in this age of AI and it's causing humans to go a little bit crazy. Let me just add to this question. In some sense, the political and social thing is there. We have elites who have the science and pretend a technocratic competence that doesn't need to be and can't be explained to the poor average person. Uh, they're being shown to be fairly incompetent, but um, uh, the average person is getting less and less trustful of this uh, self-appointed technocratic elite, whether they use AI or whatever other methods they use to proclaim they know how to run things, we're, we're seeing the political consequences of that structure right now. So, so the, the thought experiment is that instead of Dr. Fauci, we have an all-knowing uh, computer, which basically pronounces important things for health. And it can't explain itself, um, but it's generally been true in the past. So what would happen? a large group of people would organize around an information campaign that would uh, give it bad objectives and say it's not the right thing and blah, 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 and try to discredit it. Now, this problem, and this goes back to General McMaster's question, this problem is going to get much, much worse. And the reason is that the tools for misinformation, the tools for manipulation, the tools for targeting are largely open source. Open source means the software is available to anyone who has a computer and can download it. And this means that not just a foreign power like Russia to try to interfere with our elections, but pretty much any group that wants to achieve an outcome will be able to generate false information, manipulative information. So let me give you a thought experiment of how if I were an evil dictator, what I would do is build a social network and I would take that software and I would teach it to target each and every one of us about the things that we care about, things we don't care about. And I would highly target the messaging for the things that we believe. And each of us has a set of tent poles that we emotionally believe. And I would manipulate them and manipulate them and manipulate them. And that would be my objective function. That would lead to not only a, a loss of societal distrust, but a real manipulation of each person um, on its own. We're seeing vestiges of this with social media. Social media today, the objective function is maximize revenue. 
to maximize revenue, you maximize engagement. The best way to maximize engagement is to maximize outrage on either side. So outrage, which is how we feel when we're online now, is a direct response to the objective function of capitalism. Now, I'm in favor of capitalism and I'm in favor of social media. This problem has got to get redressed. There are plenty of ways to address it, but it has to be named and addressed and so forth in a way that we can survive. Yeah, Eric, this is, I've heard you say that this is uh, ad AI becoming national security AI, you know, and I think that's what's happened. And one of the things I'm concerned about is that these technologies actually strengthen authoritarian regimes while they're polarizing us, pulling us apart and pitting us against, against each other. And and I wondered if you might share with us some of your ideas about how to compete more effectively, especially against hostile authoritarian powers, China in particular. You were quite upfront about this in the in the book, but especially in the national security uh, work, uh, the, the Commission on Artificial Intelligence. And I think you had some really strong recommendations on how we can compete more effectively. And I thought you might want to share those with our with our viewers. Before Do you want to forward, pause there? I'm just yeah. gonna say that's a long clip, so maybe you can address. So I just think it's hilarious. I'm like, you mean an authoritarian regime? Like we're worried about? Like you guys? Exactly. It's just, it's just good versus bad. Go ahead. Do you have thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, he talks about um, <clears throat> uh, information campaigns and social media, and how basically if there's like Robo Fauci uh, issuing edicts and stuff, people will organize and try and discredit it, and that's bad. Okay. So I, I guess for Eric Schmidt, we just prepare um, a Robo Fauci uh, greeting committee um, and just wait for our robot overlords to tell us like who lives and who dies um, and what experimental in injections to take. And, you know, it's fine. Don't right. question Robo Fauci or you'll yeah. make Eric Schmidt very angry. He made some <laughs> points about social media right there, though, that, that seem to, I mean, it's exactly what we're pointing out that social media is being used as a divisive tool and that it is, you know, it's just very funny the way he frames it, that it, as if that's, you know, the way it is and we have to fix it. It's, you know, it's very clear in every single vein, they're pointing at problems that they themselves created either by accidental incompetence, malfeasance, or by choice. And now they're solving those problems. It's problem reaction solution at a global yeah. scale. And I think that's fair to say for sure. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, too, that John Cochran's question about the incompetence of the technocratic elite, Schmidt just, like, ignored it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just brushed right over that one. Because he brought up good points. And that's basically what I'm saying. Those same technocratic elite, if they can hide behind superior AI, I mean, uh, you can't blame them anymore, right? Because AI's proven itself to just look at Blake Lemoyne's, you know, love of Lambda. It has a consciousness and a soul. It wants head pats. It wants the best for you. Um, so, you know, it's not like the technocratic elite. It's like a little robo puppy um, that's super smart and can't explain itself when it makes policy decisions. Um, so yeah. It just, they just want you to trust it, you know, and, and it's the same ideas that, you know, when you yes. get to a point to where we start going, well, how do we know that's what the AI said? How do we know that's not something you gave it? They're like, you're not an engineer. You're not smart enough to question it. Same thing we're seeing today well, with scientists and doctors, you know, it's like, well, yeah, we yeah. question it. R remember for the last two years, the big theme of the WEF, the World Economic Forum has been rebuilding trust. Yep. Up and mainstream media trust continues to collapse and trust in institutions continues to collapse. Um, how do we say up, say up people to trust us? We have to make them think it's not us making the decisions, right? right? How right. are they going to do that? I think this is a big one. I think I this is a thing to watch. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, 
we three years ago we created an uh, uh, the Congress created an AI commission of which I was the chairman and we published our report. It's called the NSCAI.gov. You can look it up. It's 756 pages, so it's at least long, if not full. And we examined the state of AI in our country and in the West, and we also examined the situation in China. It would be fair to say that China has the situation from our perspective, their situation under control. The kinds of things that we're all upset about, they just don't allow. They don't allow the kind of misinformation. They don't allow um, author- they don't allow anonymous browsing. They don't allow free speech. They have it under control. Now it's under the kind of control that we as, de- as a democracy don't like, but they have it under control. But more importantly, they have prioritized AI, quantum, synthetic bio, energy. Can I, I pause it really quickly on that point? Isn't that an interesting point to make? So it's a double, they're arguing from, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth, right? That, well, yeah. look, China's doing these terrible things from a democracy perspective, but that work and that we should emulate. Like that's, it's, they're well, making they have uh, AI under control and we don't. And it's right. more important to have AI under control than, uh, you know, uh, wild, unregulated social media. Uh, the, 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 what Eric, Eric Schmidt's previous statements about social media here and what he's saying now, in my opinion, are just part of the extended push for censorship of AI and how they're claiming that they have AI uh, not under control because they don't censor uh, to the degree with with uh, with which they would prefer them to censor. And I guess they they differentiate themselves from uh, the censors in China by being like, well, we'll censor only misinformation. <laughs> but not other things. Okay, well, where do you draw that line? I mean, the U.S. government lies all the time and they're like the real misinformation people, dude, so. Exactly. It's the greater good all over again. It's okay. These are bad things, but we're going to allow them because it's greater than, you know, it's it's the same old tired argument. Well, this is the same argument he and the National Security Commission on AI, more broadly speaking, make all the time for about how we should uh, basically do everything China's doing. But we're not like, like China's our enemy, right? right. So we got to be, we got to be demo, demo, democratic about it. But I mean, if you look at how the U.S. is democratically, I mean, it's bunk. So um, love, what does that really mean at the end of the day? It's just a different flavor of the same crap. Mm-hmm. Right. They love to say, we care about your rights, and we're going to make sure we do that as we do all the things we take away your rights with. Like, they just love yeah. to keep service and be like, but rights and and, and equality, except we're going to remove those things. You know, it's, yeah, you it's, can still watch Netflix and, like, eat hot dogs, <laughs> even though they're, like, made out of insects now. But don't ask <laughs> us about that. So, you know, it's like everything's fine. Um, that's That's pretty much what this is, I think. Anyway, if you want to go on democracy don't like, but they have it under control. But more importantly, they have prioritized AI, quantum, synthetic bio, energy, financial services as the key uh, constructions of their future independent economy. Uh, They prioritized semiconductor leadership and on and on. The time plane for them is between 2025 and 2030. So it's quite soon. And they're putting an enormous amount of money into it. To give you an example, the... uh, Large language models that I described earlier have now been equaled in the Chinese system. I didn't think that would occur. Um, the reinforcement learning technologies that were used by DeepMind have been, again, equaled in Chinese research labs. There's every reason to think that they are a peer, not a near peer in this area. They're also now demonstrating quantum capabilities that we did not expect. They have the world's largest SynBio biobank being put together today. These are all direct threats to our scientific and industrial and innovation structure. There's a long list of things that we need to do. I'll just summarize by saying more money for research, more visas for high skills immigrants because we need them. We don't want them going to other countries. 
These are math, science, PhDs, very specialized skills. Um, lots of training in the federal government, working with our democratic partners, the so-called T10, T12, needs to include Korea, Japan, uh, people like that, maybe even India, to try to sort of get big enough and enough resources to counter this Chinese threat. Now, why does this matter? Uh, let's consider TikTok. Um, if you have a teenager, your teenager is spending all their time on TikTok. I don't particularly mind if the Chinese know where my teenager is. Um, I'd like to know where my teenager is. That's fine. Um, what I do mind is if the Chinese were to go in and begin to put in subtle messages and try to manipulate my teenager. I have enough trouble manipulating my teenager as they are. Right. Exactly like the U.S. government does right now in every media it's involved. With. Oh, can you imagine being Eric Schmidt's kid? Yikes. Anyway. So so you want to be very, very careful about these global platforms. And we call very clearly for the West and the United States to try to dominate these platforms. The, do, the platforms are worth our calculation was forty seven trillion dollars of stock market wealth to be created in the next decade in these areas. That's our guess. You get an idea. So if we go back to why does this matter? It matters from a national security perspective. You understand that very well. It also matters from an innovation perspective. It matters from a societal control perspective. We don't want the Chinese platforms influencing us. We want to at least have the American laws that we that, that we address controlling them. You ask the question, how do we manage this? And we don't have a good answer in the book. What we say is we need right now to get groups together to agree on what the ethics should look like in each of these areas. And those people, if we don't do this, these decisions will be made by computer scientists like me who didn't have time to go and do all the courses that everybody else did. I honestly don't understand some of the historical references and I don't think my peers do. We need to make these decisions with the best minds that include non-computer scientists. Otherwise we're just gonna make it and you're gonna get these kind of outcomes. Mm ethics huh like their bioethics conversation he wrote the freaking book with henry kissinger <laughs> and he's going to tell us about ethics um we need okay so so imagine henry kissinger and eric schmidt who's schmidt being described by like the new york times is like the heir apparent to kissinger okay um think about minds like that deciding what ai ethics are um right. Okay, so, oh man, uh, Henry Kissinger, when he was Secretary of State, wrote this insane national security memorandum that was classified for like a couple decades. Um, I think it's National, national Security Memorandum 200. I'm actually going to look it up because I want to I read some of this to people. Because it's just, it's so mental. This is the type of ethics of people like Kissinger and people like Schmidt. And imagine an AI being put in charge of everything, or at least a lot of stuff that thinks like these people, because it's programmed by people that think like this, and they're establishing the ethics of AI domestically and potentially internationally. Don't okay, yeah, National Security yeah. Study yeah. Memorandum 200, the Kissinger Report is the yep. informal name. Jump in signals mm -hmm. for me, and I'll pull it up and show people while you're reading it. The, the okay, well, um, this is just the Wikipedia here. Work. One second. Computer's a little slow. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that that's even something that they can pretend like. It's just it, it, they always omit what's currently happening. And if, if the U U.S. government's doing any of this stuff, well, it's of course for a good reason. Therefore, it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's just it's so. Just so anyway, this this uh, memorandum 
Uh, the subtitle is Implication of Worldwide Population Growth for US, U.S. Security and Overseas Interests. It was made in 1974, so this is a year after, for example, Kissinger, ethical Kissinger, establishes Pinochet in, in Chile, among other things, right. um, you know, and bombs a bunch of innocent people. Um, so it was adopted uh, by policy because it's a national security directive, right? Not just a memorandum. It's a national security directive um, adopted in 1975. Um, okay, so it was initially classified and obtained by researchers only in the early 90s. The memorandum and subsequent policies developed from the report were observed as a way the United States could use human population control to limit the power of undeveloped nations, ensure the easy extraction of foreign natural resources, prevent young anti-establishment individuals from being born, and to protect American businesses abroad from interference from nations seeking to support their growing populations. Does this seem like an ethical dude to you? Yeah. I mean, Does this dude seem ethical to you? This is just one of many things that Kissinger has done. Another thing was advise Robert Maxwell exactly about how he could undermine U.S. national security in terms of nuclear research and steal it all for Israel. Right. Um, he's he's a traitor to the country, and he has been for a very long time. And you know, um, let's just put him and his his little protege uh, Eric Schmidt, um, who's like, let's just sacrifice a bunch of people. It's fine. It's amazing that AI doesn't reason like us and doesn't have morals like us. Oh, hooray, AI sent without morals. It's, you know. How can you have an ethics conversation without morals? It doesn't even make sense, right? You're talking about making choices that sacrifice people's lives. And I'm sure they see themselves as moralistic, though. They just don't share, just like AI, huh? They just don't share the morals that regular people like you and I have. Right. Right. Never understand them, so don't even try. <laughs> and they're, they'll just frame it as like Star Trek, like needs of the many outweigh right. the needs of the few uh, type stuff. Okay, right. but no, 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 no. People like Eric Schmidt. I mean, these are representatives of oligarchy. Rockefellers, or the Rockefellers, have been tied up with Kissinger for a really long time. I mean, like they're like very high up in the U.S. oligarchy. Okay, the oligarchy cares about you know uh, the oligarchy. It, it it sees us as you know an underclass. Um, uh, I have a I have a off the wall anecdote if that's okay about this. Um, I was watching Batman the animated series from the early '90s. Uh, that's actually pretty good. Uh, with my daughter the other day, and there was this episode, um, appointment in Crime Alley for Batman nerds, and basically uh, there's this bad guy who's the head of like Daggett Industries or something. He's trying to blow up this. Uh, a sort of dilapidated area of town where people live to like build a mini mall or something. Mm-hmm. And he's giving this speech um, to like this group of rich people. And he says something like the underclass, we should never allow the underclass to get in the way of our progress. Okay. Uh, I, I was, saw that and I was like, man, Batman is deeper than, <laughs> than, I, than yeah. I thought it was, but that's really true. I feel like that's like the mindset of people like um, Eric Eric Schmidt here and and this whole group that you know AI this AI control grid is is fundamentally progress and this is where it has to go and these people that are transhumanists and and see it as necessary uh or for religious reasons or whatever reason uh is necessary to merge human with machines I mean I think they see it as progress that we can't let the underclass have a say about yeah and so they think the underclass us are all idiots and they think i mean look at the stuff about like edward bernays the guy that created public relations and propaganda at the same time sigmund freud's nephew there's like documentaries on him and stuff um 
uh, it's basically about how to mold the the masses that were that the masses are like you know animal herd mentality and you just have to mold them and move them uh to manage them and now ai will be managing them like yeah. ants yeah uh or something like that I just you know. want to keep including this since I mentioned it earlier. And this isn't the, co the, co the climate change version. This is the old, the later one that was 2018-19. Same point, though, about, you know, arguing that, you know, if we decide it's the right thing, or let's, to make it uh, relevant to today, if artificial intelligence decided this was the right thing, that we should do this to you without your knowledge because you wouldn't understand. That's this. That's yeah. the here. And that's compulsory moral bioenhancement for those in the podcast. I'm sure you've heard it before. You know, well, some... some some of the top science advisors, the Obama administration, I think it was John Holdren, but I may be wrong. It was two guys. Um, and they had written a paper previously about, uh, oh, we can control uh, population growth, especially in like the inner city, i.e. minorities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, by covertly putting stuff that sterilizes them in the water. Yeah. And right. so now you have covert stuff that makes them trust us more. And you could argue that's one of the reasons fluoride's in the water in the U.S. And I think a lot of people have made that argument over the years yeah. regarding the research about fluoride, how it makes people more passive. Um, so if the big goal of the technocrats is to restore trust, how do they how do they do that? This combined with a, a big AI psyop or some of these other like electromagnetic weapons that can be used for various things. Um, past efforts of the US military to make people hallucinate to see God in the sky and all this stuff um, when they invaded Iraq and, and all of this crazy shit. You know, uh, it's a war on us. The psyops are just going to get crazier. If yep. you thought the psyop from COVID was crazy, uh, remember that in addition to all this AI sentient stuff, we've also had the narrative seated. The aliens are coming. Oh, I can't wait for that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's they're just going to keep doing thing after thing after thing until it sticks and they get enough people to like, you know, go with the flow. And their end game is really obvious um, at this point. I agree. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. there's a thousand different directions this could go. But obviously, it just it boils down to you don't you I mean, as if we right now have a choice or, or rather that if we have an illusion of choice in regard to how they go forward, but that you don't have a choice, right, that it will simply yeah. be the greater good scenario in every possible facet. And if you disagree, then you're a bad person. That's the other angle we're seeing today that, oh, well, you don't like the vaccine. You're a bad person. You're hurting people. And in fact, if you do that, you're really hurting people. So we're going to arrest you for violence. You know, it's, it's all this kind of round and round scenario and artificial intelligence, as you've made clear this whole show. We'll just make that even more easy for them to say, well, you can't question. It's not even me. Don't look at me. It's yeah. AI, you know. At the end of the day, what you need to take away from this video is that AI is a tool for them. It's not really a tool for you. Right, right. And mm -hmm. how do they make them think it's a tool for you? Yeah. Psyop crap like this. It wants head pats. It's like a cat meme, but AI. I mean, come on, people. Um, please don't fall for this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's just going to get even crazier. I think Blake Lemoyne and all of this stuff is really just the beginning. Um, you know, and, and I sort of Elon Musk is part of it, too. The more you fall under Elon Musk spell of his silly bro memes and his his doobie smoking and uh, his his, you know, uh, he's like the new Trump on Twitter, in a sense, like his he's good at trolling people sometimes. And sometimes it's like funny, but like it doesn't mean he's like. Uh, the God that we should all be following or we should believe everything he says, you yeah. know, I yeah. mean, he has obvious conflicts of interest. Yeah. I think that's never the case right today. That, that's what we're always talking about, right? We don't, there's no, the savior complex has to go. It's not one, yes. one politician or one, anything that's going to actually make this happen. It's you people out there making conscious choices in this direction. 
I'd like to throw in one point before we wrap up here that Derek wrote a great article recently, Impending Future of Social Credit, Social Impact Investing, and Digital IDs, and just the interesting overlap here about what that would mean if then all of a sudden the artificial intelligence is deciding who is and who isn't allowed to do certain things or who is making the right choices or sharing the right social media content and how that then gets graded. Just like they're talking about, oh, look at China's doing it. That's how we get ahead, but we're doing it the right way. This is our future if we allow this to happen. And that AI part of it, as I just said, only makes it that much easier for them to push forward. Yeah, their whole thing about making the system, but with democratic ideals is a lot like the meme where it's like Republicans and it's like the the plane dropping bombs and it's like Democrats and like the plane is still dropping bombs, but has like a rainbow flag or whatever painted on it. I mean, it's based that's basically like the difference here. Um, It's the same crap. And I mean, Eric Schmidt knows this and and Henry Kissinger has been like an extremely long term advocate for world government. And all of those guys in the U.S. and elsewhere, including I think I think it was even like George Soros gave a recent interview about it being like, you know, it's China that's going to be leading this world order. And so we have a lot of promotion of this multipolar world order uh, with China and I guess Russia at the helm. Um and you can understand, right, because of U.S. imperialism, why they'd like a, si- a seat at the table. But should we really be supporting them if they're supporting what is essentially a parallel structure to the stuff we oppose in the West? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't. Dangers in any government. That's the like, it's, 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 at least from my perspective, this should not be taken as one government better than the other. And I'm, I'm, I imagine you feel the same. It's just about any entity out there using these things to attempt to control your life. You know, that's the same kind of idea right there. It's about the saviors. It's not this government. It's that one. That's the good one. We need to get away from these childish ideals about these things. It's it's self-responsibility, guys. That's the tenet of any yeah. represent. The, the intention of any government is going to be in stay, to stay in power as long as possible. OK, right, right. so if that means uh, control systems that allow them to exercise increased control over their citizens and stay in power longer, uh, pretty much every government's going to do that at yep. the end of the that's, day. That's great it just depends on how they sell it. Right. Whether That's it's the populations abroad or their domestic population, it really doesn't matter. I agree. Um, That's the point I make about the Great Reset, where you have yeah. groups like Russia, for instance, who are clearly in line with these the Great Reset direction, but mm-hmm. yet there seem to be some divisions on, on the world stage between the U.S. and Russia. Let's say maybe that's a part illusion, but I think there's more to it that there's a greater collaboration happening where they're like, sure, we'll go in line. It gives us more control of our people. Of course, we'll take that. But maybe you don't agree on everything else, right? So your point, exactly. That's anything that coalesces control over your life, no matter the government or entity, it's a problem. And we all can see that, hopefully. Right. Hopefully so. So anyway, um, look for more stuff like this Blake Lemoyne guy in the not so distant future um the more elon musk gets hyped as savior of twitter i guess the more people will be signing up for um you know Neuralink brain chips that are connected to your twitter or some shit um <laughs> uh you know who knows but uh, that don't trust these people because they are intent on building a a world that we should all be fundamentally opposed to yeah. um I think the the one clip that I guess I must have not put it in is the one where he talks about how there's going to be these two ways, either a revolution uh, or uh, a new religion coming out. Um, and so the, in the show notes are going to be the link to this full interview, so you can go and, and see it for yourself. But I think that's um, 
also interesting. Uh, you all know a Harari who we've talked about on several occasions, and I'm sure you've talked about on your show um, on other occasions as well, because he's just um, insufferable. Um, a few years ago, he wrote a piece about dataism, which is basically the new religion of Silicon Valley and the idea that um, it's about rights of information, but that doesn't mean right for you to access information. That means uh, the right for the machine to have access to all information, including uh, by allowing the machine to creep inside you and take your data. You, nothing can be unconnected. Um, you know, every everything that's sentient has to be connected to the to the hive mind. Basically, that's like the idea of dataism here. Right. Um, and all these people that are trying to sell this stuff to you as like progress and cool are pointing you towards a future that's basically like this. Um, and that should obviously, um, I don't really, it's the end of humanity. What more do I have to say? Are you really going to end humanity and everything that's like worth um, your time as a human, you know, or you're just going to become like a, a cog in the machine, literally, because think about people like the Rockefeller family, um, and their philanthropy over the years, all they've ever wa wanted to do was create compliant, obedient worker classes. Okay. Right. And they're intimately involved in a lot of this stuff, like ID 2020 and, uh, some of this transhumanist stuff and, and whatever, um, so, I mean, what do you think this is really about? Do you think this is about human progress or do you think this is about creating a permanent servile, uh, obedient, uh, working class that can never again, um, challenge their masters? Um, is that the future that you want? Um, you know, I guess if you don't want it and you get the brain chip, they'll just take it out of your brain, you know, and, and no problems there. Um, but you know, uh, I certainly won't be doing it and they'll have to kill me first. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end with. It comes down to your choice and whether or not you want to allow that choice to be taken by somebody else or rather to be removed from you entirely for the greater good. Right. I mean, this, if these things are on the table right now, whether you realize it or not, they are being decided right now and you need to speak up if you have thoughts on it, because soon enough, it'll be too late. So thank you for bringing this to our attention, Whitney. Your research is excellent, as always. And, you know, more to come, I'm sure. I mean, this is this is a very yep. alarming step they're taking right now. Yep, that's for sure. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. Great to be back doing something besides Epstein for a little bit. <laughs> it's always great to have you, Whitney. As always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical our digital and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example. It's you who are changed and of yes. course this has a big impact on your identity. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity so people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction, it will not happen. Um, see, uh, see, uh, cut, which we have now.